It's been exciting. It's been daunting. I've never done anything like this before. The city has never done anything like this before in the realm of civil legal services. Hi, I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. Welcome to another New Thinking Podcast. Today, I'm with my colleague Ignacio Jauregui Lorda, who is the director of two of our operating programs here at the Center for Court Innovation, Poverty Justice Solutions and Legal Hand. Hey, Ignacio. Hi. So uh, Ignacio and I are, today are going to be uh, speaking about the Office of Civil Justice, which is a new, relatively new office here in New York City, created by Mayor Bill de Blasio and our council speaker, Melissa Mark Viverito. Uh, and we'll be speaking with the coordinator of that office, Jordan Dressler. So, hey, Jordan. Hi. Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Uh, we, today we're talking about uh, the Office of Civil Justice, which you coordinate, uh, which was uh, created about 18 months ago, and its focus is overseeing the provision of free or low-cost legal services to low-income New Yorkers. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about what went into creating the office. Why uh, was it needed, and what's your mission? The creation of the Office of Civil Justice, we call it OCJ sometimes, uh, was sort of the latest step in the increase and enhancement of civil legal services in the city of New York. Uh, with the uh, election of Bill de Blasio and uh, Council Speaker Mark Viverito, uh, there was really this sense that uh, legal services uh, for low-income New Yorkers was going to be a linchpin for uh, reducing income inequality, for combating poverty, for reducing homelessness. And the first step down that path was a consolidation of all the contracts with third-party legal providers uh, that had been scattered across the city's agencies. They were consolidated under one roof, the Human Resources Administration, which is the city's uh, welfare and social services agency, uh, under the leadership of Commissioner Stephen Banks, who used to be the attorney-in-chief of the Legal Aid Society. So a lot of familiarity with legal services and the important role they can play. Uh, the next step, I would say, was an increase in funding, particularly around the area of tenant legal services. What had been $6 million in administration funding for legal services for low-income tenants facing eviction and homelessness uh, over the course of about two and a half years grew to $62 million. So a tenfold increase to really uh, make these services more widely available in the courts in communities, particularly communities in need. And that then led to the realization that there ought to be a permanent home, not only for these services, but for the oversight, the management, and the reporting on these services and what needs remained. So uh, the city council uh, voted on a local law. The local law was signed by the mayor, and the Office of Civil Justice was created. And so how's it been going? It sounds like you've accomplished a lot. I mean, $62 million is a lot of money to spend and consolidating. How many agencies are we talking about? It's dozens of legal services providers in areas of legal need like uh, housing, immigration, uh, services for veterans, services for survivors of domestic violence, low-income workers. It's been exciting. It's been daunting. 
I've never done anything like this before. I, the city has never done anything like this before in the realm of civil legal services. It's been a very exciting run so far with a lot more to come because we're on the verge of launching our uh, plan for universal access for all tenants in housing court facing eviction. And have any themes emerged? I want to talk about the, the universal access uh, in just one second. But since you've had an opportunity to consolidate all these contracts and coordinate or oversee, get, get another perspective on, on how these legal services agencies maybe function, deliver their services, have you learned any lessons or seen any patterns or been able to make changes that you think are improving the way services are delivered? I think one of the things that we have uh, seen play out is how important the logistics of access are. Um, it's one thing to provide funding and create programs, but if those programs are not doing a good job of connecting with tenants in need, immigrants in need, low-income New Yorkers in need, then you know all the access in the world is not uh, all that worthwhile. So those have been uh, challenges, uh, I wouldn't say obstacles, but challenges to make sure that where the rubber meets the road, uh, particularly in the realm of tenant legal services, you've got tenants in need uh, and lawyers who are there to help them and connecting the supply and the demand um, in a way that's efficient, in a way that uh, makes these services most widely available um, has taken some thought and some effort. So part of the the requirement of your office is to put together a, an annual report. And I know you've, you've done one report so far. Can you tell us a little bit about what some of the findings were from your first report and kind of the, the first year of, of office, how that, how that came about? Sure. So the office does have a uh, legal mandate to issue an annual report every year. Uh, and this year in our second year to also issue in conjunction with that a five-year plan. So our second annual report and our first five-year plan will be coming out later this year. A year ago, we issued our first annual report, and we decided to focus on what we saw as probably the most important question, an unanswered question, in the realm of civil legal services in New York City. And that was the level of representation, legal representation, in the housing courts today for tenants facing eviction. There had been research on this question it was decades old, uh, it hadn't been updated, and certainly didn't reflect the work that we had done as the city of New York, the work that the state judiciary has done in uh, funding legal services providers across the state just this past year at $100 million, much of that in the realm of housing work. And so we thought it was our job to kind of inject some rigor into the questions that had been surrounding uh, all the policy debate about what to do about access to counsel in the housing courts. So we focused specifically on the question of uh, how prevalent was representation for tenants in housing court facing eviction. The most recent funding had been uh, in 2013 where the state court system uh, estimated that about 1% of tenants had lawyers and 1% of landlords did not have lawyers. Uh, a real David and Goliath story. Uh, we did work last spring and found that 27% of tenants in housing court facing eviction had lawyers. So a pretty dramatic increase, but obviously farther to go if the goal 
was to be universal access to counsel. Uh, you know, we didn't take a position on where to go. We did do a lot of stakeholder interviewing and uh, also did some statistical analysis to see what has the impact of counsel been so far. So in the two years since we had increased uh, access to legal services in the housing courts, we found that evictions had decreased by 24 percent. Uh, so these were uh, very encouraging findings that we were on the right track with providing access, that that access was leading to results, and it really laid the groundwork for a very sober discussion about what universal access to counsel and housing court would actually look like. And, you know, several short months later, uh, there we were with an actual plan in hand that was agreed to by the mayor and the city council. And so now you're spending $93 million to carry out the plan for universal access? It'll actually be $155 million uh, because we're building on the commitments we've already made to the tune of $62 million for tenant legal services. Uh, and that'll be at the end of a five-year implementation plan. Uh, we couldn't do this today. There aren't enough lawyers in the city of New York with the right kind of expertise or the right kind of supervision for any of us to snap our fingers and say we'll provide universal access today. So we're taking an incremental approach, building on the programs we already have, and over the course of five years, uh, expect to cover the entire city uh, so that every tenant uh, who's facing eviction in housing court has access to legal advice. And has any other jurisdiction in the United States, as far as you know, done something like this? We are fairly certain we are the first. We're certainly the largest. Well, let's talk a little bit about the logistics of the rollout. I mean, as you say, you don't have enough attorneys right now. So where are you going to find them? What are some of the other challenges uh, that you're going to face? First and foremost might be space. There are housing courts across the city, and they have been designed and filled without having a lot of lawyers for tenants in them. So the spaces, the shared spaces, the courtrooms are really not equipped to handle this massive influx of lawyers. Uh, certainly aren't equipped today, um, but the court system has been a great partner as we've uh, implemented our existing programs and continue to implement the universal access plan going forward, and uh, I think are well aware of how sort of business as usual in the housing courts, just from a logistical and a process standpoint, uh, is going to need to change to encompass uh, all of this new legal support for tenants. Jordan, do you get a sense of what the details of the plans will be uh, in implementation? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the broad goal here and the intention is so that at the end of five years, Every New Yorker facing eviction in housing court, regardless of their income level, regardless of where they are or where they live, will have access to legal assistance in court. Uh, that's new because right now our legal services are specifically dedicated for low-income New Yorkers. And, uh, and when you say low-income New Yorkers, you mean... We set the limit at 200% of the federal poverty guidelines, which for a family of four is about $50,000 a year. Right now, legal services are available only to folks at or below that, that level. Um, with the universal access plan, as we roll out neighborhood to neighborhood, area to area, anyone in those areas that are part of our catchment area 
regardless of their income level, have access to legal advice and assistance. And anyone at or below that low-income level will have access to full legal representation, meaning a lawyer handling their case, standing next to them on their case from the beginning until the end. And how are you determining which areas to roll out first? It's based on an evaluation of need. Uh, you know, there had been some discussion about targeting particular populations, vulnerable populations. And the fact of the matter is one of the things we learned over the course of the last couple of years is that it's very difficult, if not impossible, for the court to play a role in identifying folks who fall within particular population categories. The court doesn't know if someone's a senior, if someone's a veteran, but they do know if a case is in a particular zip code. And what's more, if we are targeting particular zip codes with particular programming, there's, uh, there's accountability in looking at how many cases were there actually in this zip code and how many did our programs reach. Uh, very difficult, if not impossible, to do when you're talking about something tied to the tenant as opposed to tied to the case. So we've had good success in targeting zip codes so far. Our expanded legal services program in which the uh, universal access program is going to be built has targeted zip codes that were particularly uh, high feeders of the homeless shelter system and now we're looking at a broader array of criteria uh, including the presence of rent regulated housing in the zip code and other eviction pressures. And how are you going in fact to bridge the gap between, you know, there are services available and finding those clients, because you made reference to that before, that that was one of the patterns you had seen, the, you know, there's a resource available, but it's not necessarily getting to the client it's designed to serve. It's everything from a, co a comprehensive outreach plan to reach people where they live, to refining the process of actually connecting with the lawyer in the courthouse to make sure that it's not too burdensome for the tenant. Right now in some courthouses, in, a, in order to access legal services, you have to go from the courthouse courtroom, which is on one floor, to the HRA office, which is on another floor, to the legal services office, which is on a third floor, and then back to the courtroom. And if it's a building where the elevators don't work and it takes 25 minutes to get from one place to another, folks won't do that. So we're working with the courts and with the legal services providers to actually bring the legal services and the access points directly into the courtrooms where the cases are being heard. And we're now working with the courts and the providers on something uh, broader where hopefully we would have some sort of intake point similar to a criminal court arraignment where the case would be heard and there'd be a formal assignment of counsel and everyone would sort of pass through this gate and be provided the access to legal assistance or legal representation uh, that they're entitled to. And are there any plans to change the way the court process works around evictions or even laws? I mean, there are other approaches. Or presumably there are other ways to reduce homelessness and reduce evictions beyond providing legal representation. And that may just go well beyond the purview of your office. But I'm just wondering if there's a larger context in which we can put uh, city efforts to reduce homelessness and prevent eviction. The Office of Civil Justice is within uh, the Human Resource Administration and specifically within the Homelessness Prevention Administration part of HRA. And that's because these tenant legal services are part and parcel with a, a broader effort to uh, prevent and reduce homelessness. So um, 
HRA has done a tremendous amount of work just over the last couple of years in uh, increasing access to emergency rental assistance. So these legal services efforts are part of a suite of efforts uh, intended to reduce homelessness. Beyond evictions, since you are about civil legal services, what are some other future plans or other ideas that you have that you are interested in enacting as far as representing other kinds of civil cases? Well, we we oversee a, uh, a wide variety of immigration legal services. It's probably our single biggest portfolio uh, unto itself, and those run the gamut between brief legal assistance to let immigrant New Yorkers know what their rights might be to full-fledged legal representation in very complicated legal matters. Um, beyond that, I think an area that we want to spend some time looking at is the area of consumer debt um, as another barrier to uh, progress for New Yorkers and their families. Um, There are a wide variety of legal issues that that includes, everything from default judgments against folks who didn't even know they were facing a debt that come back to haunt them on their credit reports to... um, digging their way out from identity theft, particularly in cases of survivors of domestic violence. Um, We are taking a hard look at it, as well as sort of the wide variety of other uh, legal services needs, and it'll all be part of our five-year plan for the future of the city's civil legal services. Thank you very much. Ignacio Jauregui Lorda and I have been speaking with Jordan Dressler, who is the founding coordinator of the Office of Civil Justice, which is just 18 months ago, uh, was born just 18 months ago. To find out more about your work, is there a, a website or somewhere people can go? Sure. Uh, nyc.gov slash civil justice. All one word. For more information about the Center for Court Innovation, you can uh, visit us at www.courtinnovation.org. And you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you like to get your podcasts. And thank you very much for listening. Thank you.